The spirit of life. Today we talk about the spirit of life and I want to start with, a, with just a question here for you. It's the success question. In the next 20 to 40 years or in the time that you maybe have left if you can't look that far in the future, what would, you, what would a successful life look like to you? Just kind of process that for a moment. Next 20, 30, 40 years of your life or the amount of time you have left, what would those, if those were successful years, what would they look like to you? And uh, I just want you to kind of think about that question as we start out this morning. And I'm going to put a video on for us now. Just watch this video. It's an old video. We showed it years ago and it's an old study that was done. But let's just watch this uh, video for a moment. Okay, sit in that chair. All right, here's the deal. Marshmallow, for you. You can either wait, and I'll give you another one if you wait, or you can eat it now. When I come back, I'll give you two, another one. So then you'll have two. But stay in here and stay in the chair till I come back, okay? okay. All right. I'm gonna go do something and then I'll come back. It smells yummy. It smells really So it's up to you. You can have it now or you can wait. Okay? I'll be back. Stay in the chair, okay? Okay. So I'm gonna leave and then I'll come back, okay? So you can either eat it right now or you can wait. Either way, okay? Okay. How'd you do? Did you do good? You did? Yeah. You wanted to eat it, didn't you? Yeah. So did I tell you I'd give you another one? Okay, now you can have both. You need them.
Well, that's called the marshmallow test, and that study actually goes back to the late 1960s from Columbia University performed. It, came up, it was a Walter Michelle that came up with that test. It's been recreated over the years, late 1990s. ABC TV did the same study and saw some of the same humorous results. What's fascinating about that study is that they followed up 30 years later on the the kids that were in the original study. That was just some uh, Igniter Media that did their video on that. They followed up on those 30 kids and they found something out that those that exhibited more self-control in that study turned out to be more successful. Thought that was kind of interesting. So there's a direct correlation between self-control and success. I read another study, I was thinking as I was watching that, another study this week where they put older, like uh, college-age kids, I think, and adults kind of in this, uh, in this test, and some had to exhibit more self-control than others. And in the, the group that had to exhibit more self-control, when they were given a geometry test, they did worse on the test because they exhibited more energy, uh, you know, trying to muster up the self-control. But the... the one of the things of that study was that self-control can be like a muscle that you can build and it can get stronger in your life. So today we want to talk about self-control. That's the flavor today, the last fruit of the Spirit, the last flavor of the Spirit, the last apple type, I guess we could say. And it is self-control or the, the King James says temperance. And we've just noted, right? Now these last three fruits, we, we said the first three fruits, love, joy, and peace, kind of focus on God, uh, patience, uh, Patience, kindness, and goodness kind of focus on my relationship with you. And then uh, this, these last three, fidelity or faithfulness, meekness or gentleness, and then self-control or this temperance, it, it really is about my relationship with me. And the more I can really get to these last three fruits, the more I can exhibit the other fruits, really, when you think about it. It's not, in, it's not I think, by, ex, by a mistake that the last fruit is self-control, and self-control can help me master these other fruits in my life as well. And see them more prevalent I think that's the way it works as we said each fruit seems to go deeper and deeper into a spiritual maturity um, so here's another question for you this morning though how would you define self-control like if you just off the top of your head said well self-control to me looks like and I wonder how you would answer that question you can kind of move that around and we're going to define it this morning in, in great detail and very applicable ways for us but let me tell you, I guess to, to start here and think about what self-control is, we could maybe stop and say what self-control isn't, okay? What self-control isn't, I think, would probably help us. And, and what we'll see today with self-control is the challenge we've seen throughout this series is how do we look at these as fruits of the Spirit and not my own, you know, the work of my own flesh, the work of me just trying really hard to be patient or be kind and so here's what self-control is, and it's not willpower. Okay, self-control is not willpower, and uh, that's good news, right? Because willpower oftentimes fails us. We know that every New Year's, uh, when it rolls around, willpower doesn't always do the best at keeping our, um, our New Year's resolutions. And, and the reality, when you think about this idea of willpower, really, and that's how most people would look at self-control, they would look at it and define it as, willpower they will themselves to do or not do something but we'll see that's really faulty thinking this morning and it's not that i don't make decisions and that that i don't live those decisions out the key is how do i make those decisions and how do i live those decisions out then so how do i make decisions and then live them out so self-control then can be a fruit remember i am a soul 
I, I have my thinker, my feeler, and my chooser. And every day I'm making decisions and living out my faith. The key is always the same. How do I make those decisions? And then how do I live them out? And the reality is in regards to willpower and the fruit, like I don't just will myself to be more patient or will myself to be more joyful or will myself to be more kind. That's not the way it works. In fact, the reality is when you think about the idea of willpower and these fruits, it's really not about my will, it's about his will. And we'll see that today as we go through the message. Really, this idea of willpower really falls, very, uh, falls short miserably. It is about his will. Now, another thing in defining this, if you remember, we looked at kindness and goodness, and we looked at them in one message because they're so similar, like, you know, kindness and goodness were so interchangeable. And in a lot of ways, we looked at, we looked at meekness last week, and it's very similar to self-control. I almost did the same thing with them. I didn't. But, but remember how we defined meekness last week. Meekness is strength under control. So a strength under control is very similar to self-control. In fact, here's, here's how the Lord kind of helped me break down and, and differentiate, differentiate between these two words. Uh, there, there's a couple of uh, words here. This word again, acrotatia. I'm probably not saying that right. I can, I can get them down. But this is the exact word that's used here for the fruit of the Spirit, for self-control. Just one word, acrotatia. And it comes from the adjective acrotes. Acrates. But what's fascinating, this, this next word, this acrates here, this word, um, is that it comes from two words meaning in plus power. So this word self-control, if you drill down in, it's kind of like two words, in plus power or strength or vigor or dominion. And so here's self-control. Again, back, back to this word here, the, the fruit of the Spirit. Here's the definition in the Thayer's Greek lexicon. It's the virtue of one who masters his desires and passions, especially his sensual appetites, especially those appetites. And then we can see this is the adjective, mastering, controlling, curbing, or retraining. And it comes from these two words, in plus power or in plus strength. And so if you want a kind of definition here, meekness is strength under control and self-control is a strength that is in control. Like I have the strength and it's under control so I don't just say everything I want to say and, you know, and just tell you off. And, but self-control, I have the strength and it's in control in my life. And we'll see what that, exactly what that looks like as we go forward. You want a definition here, self-control defined then is it is the power of the Spirit in control of me. It is the power of the Spirit in control of my life and of my thoughts and of my feelings and of my Choices, right? Ephesians 1.19, and what is the immeasurable greatness of his power, of God's power, of the Spirit's power towards us who believe, according to the working of his great might that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, speaking of the power of the Holy Spirit that raised Christ from the dead and is in your life and is a, is a powerful force in your life. I was thinking today as we sang that first song, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your strength, you know, and I was thinking about how love God with all my strength and what strength do I have right there? I have all the strength of the Holy Spirit in my life. Love God with all the power, with all the strength of the Holy Spirit that is within you. So today's big idea, self-control, is found in surrendering control to the Spirit. You want self-control in your life? I don't know how you were initially defining self-control in your mind, but self-control is simply surrendering control to the Spirit that is indwelling your 
life. I have one last question for us before we jump into this then and get into the heart of the text. The success question again here. Where do you want to experience more self-control? I want to experience more self-control in my thoughts and my attitudes, in my feelings and desires, in my choices and behaviors. Like, could you zero in on one of those and say, that's that, oh, I know that's where I'm at. Right there, I could check that box. I want to control my thoughts. I want to control my choices. I want to control my feelings or desires. And we'll see today how this all goes back to the Spirit and what this looks like in our life in a very powerful way. And we'll see this is not willpower. This is certainly the Spirit's power. It's not my will. It's the Spirit's will in my life. So today, what is self-control? We're going to see today in three simple points. We're going to see three simple steps, three word pictures, and three applications. I'll give you three statements and we'll look at it in that sense. And if, if you look into the text, you're going to see these three phrases zeroed in on. In, in Galatians 5, and this is what Rick read earlier, we are to walk in the Spirit, we are to be led by the Spirit, and we are to keep in step with the Spirit. And if you walk in the Spirit, are led by the Spirit, and keep in step with the Spirit, you will exhibit self-control in your life. Galatians chapter 5, but I say, walk by the Spirit. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh, for the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So step one, it is walking, self-control is walking in the Spirit and being controlled by, I missed a word there, being controlled by His choices. It is walking in the Spirit and being controlled by the Spirit's choices. Like I got to think and feel and make choices and I defer those choices to the Holy Spirit as I go throughout my day as I walk in the Spirit and self-control will be be prevalent in my life. Now there's kind of two parts going on here. There's this idea of walking, right? Walking in the Spirit. And the Bible talks a lot about our our life as a spiritual walk. We're supposed to, you know, uh, walk worthy, for instance. Like God set our spirit apart, made us holy and righteous. Now I set apart my thoughts and feelings and choices and and I walk worthy of Him. That's throughout uh, throughout the writings of Paul. He talks about that concept of walking worthy walking worthy but then there's this application about the choices that i make in life and here's the reality like we can stop and think about all the individual choices we make every day right in the heat of the moment but we're really given a very clear choice we see it here in the text like we're given a very clear choice right the now the works of the flesh are evident like like that list of the works of the flesh it's really evident uh what the flesh is And we're given this clear choice, really, what's the clear choice? The clear choice is walking in the spirit or walking in the flesh. It's like, duh, that's how clear the choice is. And the reality is, walking in the flesh, it is usually pretty evident. Now, I I get it, when when we come to bearing fruit, it's like, am, am I being kind because the spirit's being kind in me, or am I being kind because I'm just trying really hard to be kind, and it's wearing me out. And there is uh, sometimes it's a little confusing in that sense. But just think about the spirit versus the flesh. Like, like here's what, what, what we can look at this, these two lists, the fruits of the spirit and the works of the flesh. And so we have anger versus love. Like all of these works of the flesh can be kind of contrasted with fruits of the spirit. We have strife and envy and enmity versus joy and peace. We have strife and enmity versus patience. We have anger and rivalries and jealousy versus kindness and goodness. We have dissensions and divisions and rival, rivalries versus meekness. 
We have idolatry and sorcery versus faithfulness. We have sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, drunkenness, and orgies versus self-control. And so he put these two lists together and it's very clear. Walk in the spirit, walk in the flesh. Very clear choice. But this, this clarity of choice can also be seen here. Um, again, the works of the flesh are very evident. Look, look at this verse. So we are always of good courage. We know that we, while we are at home in the body, we are away from the Lord for we walk by faith, not by sight. Another clear choice, right? You get up every day, you can walk by faith, you can walk by sight. It's that simple. That's the clear choice we are given in Scripture. Is it not interesting? Is it not interesting when a baby is born, think about how, how this works, that they instinctively, naturally, about age one, about age one, they start to walk. They learn how to walk. It's just something that like you can't stop them from wanting to learn how to Walk. And it's a bit rough for them at first, right? They do a little tumbling, a little stumbling. But in a spiritual sense, it's the same with us. When we, we become new Christians in Christ, new creations, we should learn how to walk in the Spirit. It should just come natural to us. We just learn how to walk in the Spirit. And there's a sense where walking in the Spirit is likened to walking by faith. To walk by faith, you have to walk in the Spirit, and to walk in the Spirit, it takes an element of faith because walking in the Spirit is where I surrender control to the Spirit and I just trust Him and His will and His power and not myself. Now, let me give you, I talk about a baby learning to walk and we should learn to walk. Let me give you a little slack this morning, okay? Because here's what happens when, we, when we're learning to walk spiritually, right? You can think of a little baby kind of stumbling along, but when we learn to walk, right, well, we get attacked by the world, and we get attacked by the flesh, we get attacked by sin, we get attacked by Satan. That little baby's learning to walk, and mom and dad aren't there like putting obstacles in his way and throwing stuff at him, and let's knock him over, you know? It's like he's learning to walk impeded, but he, he's learning to walk, and it takes him time, and we need to learn to walk as well. I was thinking, too, I shared a, a year or two ago this illustration of, of, remember the word picture of, like when we're walking, we're always kind of off balance and always falling forward, you know, right? Because remember this, this picture, right? Like stand up and do this, you know? It's kind of hard to, we're off balance. When you're on foot, one foot, you're off balance. So when you're learning to walk, you're always like, for one split second, you're off balance. But you're planting your foot. You're like falling forward and planting your feet. And so we learn how to walk and we learn how to be off balance for that one split second. And that's kind of walking by faith with the Spirit. We're a little off balance all the time. We're trusting Him. We need Him. And that little child that's learning to walk, that little toddler, that's, that's their problem, right? Why do they stumble and tumble? Because they have not learned how to get that next foot down quick enough. So they got this foot in the air and they're like... <laughs> Before they get the next foot planted, they're going to fall on their face, you know. And the quicker they, they can learn to do that. And whenever we stop walking, we land on two feet because we need our balance. So walking by the Spirit always has this element of faith attached to it because we never know exactly where the Spirit may lead us and because we are being attacked in our walk. So it's like I need faith to help me. Now this clear choice is most clearly seen in this next element, right? Walking in the Spirit will at times require faith. But look at this next verse here. Here's where the, the clearest choice that we are confronted with. Romans 13, 11. Besides this, you know the time that the hour has come for you to wake from sleep. For salvation is nearer to us now than when we first believed. The night is far gone. The day is at hand. So then let us cast off the works of the darkness and put on the armor of light. 
Let us walk properly as in the daytime, not in orgies and drunkenness, not in sexual immorality and sensuality, not in quarreling and jealousy, but put on the Lord Jesus Christ to make no provision for the flesh to gratify its desires. And so we see the contrast here that walking in the spirit versus walking in the flesh is as clear as walking in the day or walking in the night. And it's much easier to walk in the day. Ask your toes if it's easier to walk in the day or the night, right? We've all been there. So what a great, what a great word picture here of what it means to simply walk in the Spirit. And the Bible tells us that, that those who do evil, they, they, love the, they love the dark and they hate the light. They don't want their evil deeds to be exposed, so they thrive in the darkness. But what I thought was really interesting is when you think about the most negative emotions of the soul, they're all associated with the darkness. Like even that list there in Galatians 5 of the works of the flesh are this, he lists some of these negative emotions in there. But think about this, I didn't put it on the screen, or maybe, I, yeah, I did. Uh, think about depression, disappointment, despair, doubt, anger, hate, bitterness, fear, worry, anxiety, envy, jealousy, shame, guilt, grief. These are all associated with the darkness. These are, a lot of these things are the things that we put the mask on so no one can know that I feel ashamed. So no one can see my guilt or my grief. So no one can know I'm depressed or I'm disappointed or, I'm, or I, I have doubts. And we, we just hide these things in the darkness. And we're supposed to walk in the day and there is a hope that needs to take over the dark emotions of our soul i'm not saying we're never going to struggle with these things as believers we will we'll go through times but there is a hope that we can find when we walk in the day and the contrast here if you look at the fruits of the spirit right what, what where do they thrive they thrive in the light like ask, you know, just, just any fruit, they just thrive. They just soak in the sun and they just grow and they thrive. You know, it's really fascinating. If, if you want to know one of the greatest health issues for the world today, one of, the, one of the best things you can do for your health today, you know what you can do? Get more vitamin D. Where do you get more vitamin D? In the sun. Just get in the day. It's like it, it's true physically, it's true biologically, it's true spiritually. Walk in the day. Walk in the day. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. And that is so, so, so powerful. Let me just say that as a Christian, if you're living in the night, you will certainly be spiritually compromised and unfruitful. But to live in the day is to be spiritually healthy. 1 Thessalonians 5, 6. So then let us not sleep as others do, but let us keep awake and be sober. And we see some of that in our society. We're seeing, we're seeing great evil purported in our society. We're seeing push back and say, hey, wait a minute. I read this week 200 school boards changed hands in the last... This, this last, uh, these last elections here around the country as parents are standing up and saying, not in my school. You're not teaching that. You're not, you're not having those books in the library. You're not pushing that agenda. We need to know the hope, though, the hope that the redemptive hope of the gospel that is wrapped up in the light. So we have this one clear choice. All the individual choices, well, there's this one clear choice, the flesh and the spirit. We see it played out this way. And it's me giving to the Holy Spirit these decisions. Will I watch this show, go to this party, listen to this music, encourage this relationship, engage in this behavior, or use this word, 
Will I or will I not? Titus 2.11, for the grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation for all people, training us to renounce ungodliness and worldly passions and to live self-controlled, upright, and godly lives in the present age. And really, the grace of God that saves us is the grace of God that sustains us and teaches us what our truest desires are and teaches us how to live self-controlled lives. How amazing is that? Many of us, in fact, I put this on the screen. Look at this. The Limits of the Human Will from a book called True Face. Many of us act as if repentance is a matter of the will, but we can't will ourselves into change. We can't will ourselves into feeling contrition or remorse. Repentance isn't something about our sin, isn't doing something about our sin. Rather, it, it means admitting that we can't do anything about our sin. We cannot woo ourselves into anything but the most external form of repentance. All of our effort, striving, and willpower have only momentary external value when it comes to fighting an opponent as crafty, intentional, persistent, powerful, and experienced as sin. Watch this next line. Understand this, the intention not to sin is not the same as the power not to sin. God did not design us to conquer sin on our own. To think we can is an incalculable undervaluing of sin's power combined with a huge overvaluing of our own will power so self-control first step is walking in the spirit and being controlled by the choices of the spirit by his choices letting him make the choice self-control is found in surrendering control to the spirit it's found when i surrender control to the holy spirit let's go on verse 18 for these the spirit and flesh are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now the works of the flesh are evident. We read those, and he goes down in verse 24, and those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desire. Here's our second step. It is being filled with the Spirit and controlled by holy desires or controlled by His desires, which as we'll see are actually my desires as well. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Now, you may look at that and think, well, I didn't see that in the text. It said be led by the Spirit. It didn't say be filled with the Spirit, right? But let me ask you the simple question. How are we led by the Spirit today? Are we led by the Spirit externally or internally? You want to be led by the Spirit, you need to be filled with the Spirit because we are led today internally and not externally. Look at Galatians 5. It explains it for us, right? Your Ephesians 5. Look carefully then how you walk. There's the idea of the walk again, right? Not as unwise, but as wise, making the best use of the time because the days are evil. Therefore, do not be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. Not about your willpower, but about His will, ultimately. But understand what the will of the Lord is and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit but be filled with the Spirit. And so today, Christians are led internally, not externally. I'm led when the Holy Spirit fills me from within. I have Him. He's in my life. He has sealed me. I am saved and set apart and sanctified by the Spirit. Now I need Him to fill me from within. That's what I need. So to be led by the Spirit is to be filled with the Spirit. And then look at that alcohol illustration, because to be filled with the Spirit is then to be controlled by the Spirit. There you get right to self-control. Like, how do I control? How do I get self-control? Well, be filled with the Spirit, and He'll take over, and He'll control you. 
and you give him the, you give him the right to, to make the choices in your life and he takes control of you from within and you can start to see victory. You can start to utilize this power, his power in your life rather than your own. So the Holy Spirit's right here and he is directing me and leading me from right here. Let me give you a helpful and surprising illustration here in a moment, okay? So we talk here about, we look at the Bible dispensationally. Some churches look at it through covenant theology. We have a dispensational theology here. I'll give you a fascinating insight into this because lots of times people don't understand, they don't really get this dispensational aspect and how practical it is. So in in the Bible, in the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, 250 times it talks about the disciples being a disciple. Jesus had the 12 disciples. He had the 70 disciples. Uh, Jewish culture, the rabbis had their disciples. 250 times. You go to the book where it's transitioning kind of from the Jewish program over here to the body of Christ and all that Paul writes about the, the gospel and the body of Christ. And like 25 times it references disciples. You get to Paul. You know how many times Paul and then either, even Peter, James, and John in, the, in Hebrews and those general epistles, you know how many times they use the word even the Greek word for disciple, do you know how many times those books use that word? Zero. Zero. I'm going to tell you, you're really not supposed to be a disciple. Today. You're not supposed to follow Christ today. You know why? You're supposed to be Christ today. You are the body of Christ. That's the change. That's the shift. Jesus is over here. They're following him externally. They're following him. They're his disciples. They're today. Christ is in here. I'm not the body of Christ. I don't follow him. I am him in the world. I'm not a Holy Spirit, but I have a Holy Spirit in me. And I'm led. And that's the, that's the shift. And you see that shift because a little bit in Acts he talks about, but as he gets over to Paul and Peter and James and John and those books that deal with the, 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 the period kind of tied to the tribulation area, it just doesn't talk about that because you have the indwelling Holy Spirit. It is so incredibly, incredibly powerful. We see these dispensational shifts. There's another one right here in the text. He says, if you are led by the Spirit, I put it on the screen, if you're led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. And so you see that Jesus talks about the law one way. The Old Testament talks about the law one way. Paul comes along and talks about the law a different way. Like you're not under the law. You don't need this external law. You have an internal law. In fact, some translations, that law, that word for law is capital, I, capital L. Like you literally are not under the law of Moses today because in Galatians 6.1, we are what? Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. There's an internal law that God put on our heart that leads us from within. We don't need the, the law written on stone. We have the spirit of the law of Christ in our very life. Jesus even said it in John 7. On the last day of the feast, the great day, Jesus stood up and cried out. This is probably about a half a year before the crucifixion. If anyone thirsts, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the scriptures has said, out of his heart will flow rivers of living water. Now this he said about the spirit whom those who believed in him were to, be, to receive, for as yet the spirit had not been given because Jesus was not yet glorified. But after the cross and after the resurrection and especially all the way into Paul's writings, there's this reality where the Spirit comes to live within us and fills us from our heart, comes like a fountain out of our life. 
And it's just a beautiful, beautiful, beautiful picture of what's going on here. And this, as it fills me, it takes control of me. And all the love and all the joy and all the peace and all the kindness and all the goodness and all the gentleness and all all just flows out of my life. It is the Holy Spirit in my life. I've talked about this internal filling before, right? It's it's kind of like when, when they were kids, Rick and Wayne played Monopoly. And Wayne beat Rick and Rick was filled with envy. Last night I watched Ohio State beat Notre Dame and I was filled with joy. It, that, that's, that's the way it works, though. It's not like, fill me, Lord, from the outside. Fill up my cup from the outside. Dispensationally, today, that's not the way it works. Today, we are filled from the inside because I have the Spirit here who, who meets all of my needs in the moment if I just surrender to Him. The greater point here, then, is this is where I find self-control. And just add one more thing to this because I have the Spirit here because I'm a new creation and the Spirit fills my heart. I have His desires now. Like, I want what he wants. I really do. Self-control is being filled with the Spirit and being controlled by his holy desires. Look at verse 18. So the Spirit and flesh are opposed to each other. The flesh opposes the Spirit to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The flesh says, I don't, you know, it's like, like that little kid trying to walk by faith and the flesh is there throwing things at him and putting obstacles in his way, trying to knock him over. You don't want to walk that way. You want to live this way. And, and, and so that's verse 18 and down to verse 24. For those who belong to Christ Jesus, if you're saved, you have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. Like past tense, when you are crucified with Christ, your passions, your desires, your, your desire for the things of this world were crucified. I know it doesn't always feel that way. We, we sometimes think we want things we don't really want. And then we get them and we're like, yeah, I don't want that. And so that's the reality here. And so the, the point here, we just have to remind ourselves, my old man was crucified, he's dead, he's buried, that's not what I want. I really truly want to do the things that honor God. That will help me produce the most fruit and have the most abundant life. Because right, that's the premise of this whole series. That the fruitful life is the abundant life. Let me give you briefly our three desires that we all have in common with the Spirit. We all share these. We all have these same desires with the Holy Spirit. I have the desire to love God. I I do. We just have this desire to love God. And I get it. Like we go through things in life sometimes and we're like, God, do you really love me? It's like we start to, we start to wonder, God, if you really love me, why you, boy, it don't seem like it. And then because I question God's love, for me, I begin to question my love for him. Like, I don't know if I love you, God. I'm not sure if I, I'm too fond of you right now and what I'm going on. Can we all just remember the, memorize this verse? I've shared it a few times again lately. Ephesians 6.23, Peace be to the brothers and love with faith from God the Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace be with all who love our Lord Jesus Christ with love incorruptible or love that is undecaying or love that is undying. And the Holy Spirit right here has this incorruptible, it's the fruit of the spirit of love, it's in your heart, that's the love you have for God. Yes, the world's gonna attack you and try to cause you to doubt that and, and think, I don't know if I really love God, I don't know if I really wanna serve God, I don't know if I really wanna do what God wants me to do. And we do. And we have this love that is incorruptible that no one can ever take away from me. 
Here's what Paul said in 2 Corinthians. For the love of Christ controls us. Self-control, right there, spirit control. For the love of Christ controls us because we have concluded this, that one has died for all, therefore all have died. And he died for all that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And this works in both directions. Like here I see, when I see how much God loves me, it takes control of my life. It consumes me so much so that I then love God back in a way that I will do what he wants me to do. I am compelled by the love of God to live for God. I'm compelled by the love of God because of his love for me and then my incorruptible love back for him to just go out and walk in the spirit and do the things he wants me to do. You have to focus on this though. We'll see that in the last point. But this is my desire. Know that you have this desire in your heart from the Holy Spirit. Here's the deal. When it comes to making choices in the heat of the moment, this is what's key. When it comes to making choices in the heat of the moment, if you're a young kid and, and you're at a party or, you know, you got a certain friend or you got, you know, if you're even as adults, we go through circumstances in the heat of the moment, what do I do? And when you're tempted, you just sit there and say, I love God and I'm going to do what God wants me to do. I'm going to surrender to the Holy Spirit in this moment. I simply am. I also have the desire to bear his fruit. We all have this desire in here. It's God's desire that we would bear his fruit. We want to bear his fruit. We all want more love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and good. We all want more of that, right? You can't have too much joy. You can't have too much peace. You can't have too much patience or kindness or gentleness. You can't. You really, really ultimately can't. And we need to know that. So let me show you a verse though. Here's the real reality. John 15, 1, I am the vine and my father is the vine dresser. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, he takes away and every branch that does bear fruit, he prunes that it may bear more fruit. So yeah, here's the reality. Pruning is painful, but it's key to a more fruitful life. Pruning is painful, but it's key to a fruitful life. And we all want to bear more fruit. And so God comes along sometimes and says, I need to cut off that relationship or I need to cut that attitude out of your life or I need to cut off that behavior or that habit. And it's like, ouch! It's like, we kind of like, I don't know. But no, we really do. We want him to do, we want to give him the freedom to do that because we want to bear more fruit for him. That's where the abundant life is found. And so we just need to be aware of that simple reality. We could go through this whole this whole uh, chapter, we won't. Verse five, I am the vine, you are the branches. Whoever abides in me and I in him, he it is that bears much fruit. For apart from me, you can do nothing. And so just simply know this, walking in the spirit will lead to a fruitful life. If you walk in the spirit, not the flesh, you, if you walk in the day and in the light and the sun is just pouring down on your life, the sun and the sun, you're gonna be more fruitful in your life. You're gonna be happier and your life will be more abundant. That's a simple reality. And then finally, verse 11, these things I have spoken to you that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be full. Right? And can I just say you could take joy there and replace it with any other fruit of the Spirit. I wrote these things so that you may have my peace, that my peace may be in you and that your peace may be full. These things I have spoken to you that my self-control may be in you and that your self-control may be full. That's the reality. We want a fruitful life and he will give us the most fruitful life. One last desire we all share is we all want to walk in freedom. We just want to walk in freedom. 
And this whole passage of the uh, Galatians 5 here and the fruit, uh, the flesh and the spirit and the, the fruit and the works of all that, it's based in this context of Galatians 5.1. For freedom, Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to a yoke of slavery. So it's all based on this premise that God is calling us to live this life of freedom. And think again about what self-control really looks like. We can see it from two perspectives. There's an idea where self-control is like where my life is not out of control, right? There's this self-control is my life is not out of control. My thoughts are not out of control. My emotions are not out of control. My spending is not out of control. My drinking is not out of control. My mouth is not out of control. I have self-control. My life is not out of control. But Jesus would define self-control by another perspective. He would say self-control is when I am in control. And when I am in control, there's self-control. That's the perspective we need to latch on to where he is in control of my choices, of my daily filling, and of my deepest desires. When he is stirring those things in me. Letting go and moving on is is a difficult, painful process. Bad relationships, bad decisions, we tend to revisit the moments when we were not so smart or when others were not so smart. Beating ourselves up for our mistakes or blaming others for the ways they've hurt us. That's why Jeff Goldblatt started what he hopes will become a movement. Get over it day. The day which was recently featured on Good Morning America falls on March 9th, which happens to be midway between Valentine's Day and April Fool's Day. The idea behind Get Over It Day is simple. All of us have something, an ex-boyfriend or ex-girlfriend, stressful school or work-related issues, fears and insecurities, embarrassing moments, bad relationships, and so on. Get over it. Motivates people to use sheer willpower and move on no matter how deep the scars. Goldblatt's website even sells Get Over It, Get Over It, uh, and provides helpful hints like if you're not sure what you have to get over, just ask your friends what they're tired of hearing you complain about. (laughs) And get over it. Good news is you don't need willpower to get over it. You have the cross, you have the redemptive gospel, you have the power of the Holy Spirit in your life, and God says, I have gotten over all of your past, I've gotten over all of your issues, walk in freedom, walk in victory, walk in true self-control. So self-control is found in surrendering control to the Spirit. And self-control is walking in the Spirit and being controlled by His choices, it is being filled with the Spirit and being controlled by His Holy desires and we wrap up here galatians 5 25 if we live by the spirit let us also keep in step with the spirit let us not become conceited provoking one another and envying one another here's our third step it's simply this it is setting the mind setting my mind on the spirit and being controlled by his holy thoughts by his holy thoughts if we live by the spirit let us keep in step with the spirit and again you're probably saying well okay that says live by the spirit you're saying keeping your mind up or you're, it says here to keep in step with the spirit and you're talking about setting my mind on the spirit how do they relate well let me tell you how are you going to keep in step with the spirit you got to think like the spirit you just have to your thoughts have to be in harmony with his thoughts it just that's the way it works how do i keep from getting ahead of him or falling behind him I set my mind on the Spirit. I need His focus to be 
my focus. So this, here's the reality, this keep your, setting your mind on the, the spirit, the, the, this whole thing, setting the mind concept, it's all over Paul's writings. We could go to a half dozen passages today and look at them in depth. I'll, get, I'll take you to just to one here in Romans chapter eight. Here's the reality check. To be led by the spirit, I have to be thinking like the spirit. Like what is his thought process in this moment? Like, why, why does the Holy Spirit want to do this? Well, what's his thought process? He wants me to forgive this person because why? He wants me to be patient with this person, why? What, what can he tell me about what they're going through that I may be missing, right? So many times we, we just, we look at people and we don't think about what they're going through. And if we thought about what they're maybe going through in their life, maybe we would say, maybe they're going having a hard day. Maybe we would just be more patient or kind or gentle, whatever it might be. The Holy Spirit helps us do that. Holy Spirit comes along. We need to think like the Spirit. So it says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. That's exactly what you find in Romans 8. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, for the law of the Spirit of life, or you could say the law of Christ there, has set you free in Christ Jesus from the law of sin and death. For God has done what the law weakened by the flesh could not do by sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin he condemned sin in the flesh in order that the righteous requirement of the law might be fulfilled in us. Look at this. Who, will, who walk not according to the flesh but according to the spirit. For those who live according to the flesh set their minds on the things of the flesh but those who live according to the spirit set their minds on the things of the spirit. For to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. For the mind that is set on the flesh is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot. Those who are in the flesh cannot please God. And there's two concepts raised in this verse. And this verse again, if we live by the spirit, let us keep in step with the spirit, is exactly what this passage is telling us here. There's, there's two concepts. Live according to. Those who live according to the flesh or those who live according to the spirit. And, and that's really literally saying, where do you exist? Those who are according to the flesh. Those who are according to the spirit. This is exactly what it is saying. In fact, let me give it to you. Um, uh, here's the Brian literal Bible. Here's a more literal translation. It says this. For those being according to flesh, mind the things of the flesh, but those according to the Spirit, the things of the Spirit. And so either you are in Christ or in the world, either you're in the Spirit or you're in the flesh. You're one of two places today. It's the whole Noah Ark analogy again. I just love it. You're either in the Ark and the door is sealed and you're headed for glory or you're in the world and you're going to face judgment for your sin. It's that simple reality. So, this is my identity, this is my existence. Where am I living? And then setting apart the mind, or setting the mind on. This is my moment-by-moment moment choice. It's the difference between, okay, I've been sanctified in my spirit, so I'm in the spirit. And the Holy Spirit's done that. Now every day, I am sanctifying my thoughts and my feelings and my choices. I'm setting them apart for God's glory by surrendering those choices to the Holy Spirit, by surrendering those desires and those thoughts and those choices to the Holy Spirit. And every day, moment, just not day by day, moment by moment. I mean, this moment and a half, half hour later in some other circumstance, again, I'm confronted with setting my mind on the Spirit. Now the point here, what he's saying here is there's like a default position, right? So if you are in the flesh, the default position is to set your mind on the flesh. In fact, you don't even have a choice. Did you catch that? 
Like verse 7 and 8, for the mind that is set on the flesh the per- is hostile to God, for it does not submit to God's law. Indeed, it cannot, for those who are in the flesh cannot please God. If you're in the flesh, your default position is you're going to set your mind on the flesh. I said it before, I marvel how we, we sometimes can do this. So we look at the world and they're so sinful and so corrupt and so evil and we think, we just like, you know, we like, get your act together. It's like, no, they can't do any better. Sinners will sin. If you're in, if you're in the flesh, you're just going to sin. That's all you can do. You cannot please God. You cannot set your mind on the things of God if you're in the flesh. It's impossible. Now, you and I, different story. We have the option, we have the choice for to set the mind on the flesh is death but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace and if, you're, if you are in Christ, if you're in the spirit then every day you get to choose moment by moment where you're going to set your mind, what you're going to dwell on. And we can set our mind on the old man who's dead and buried and, and forget that he's been crucified and those passions and desires were buried in the grave. We can forget that and set our mind there or we can set our mind on the flesh and look at the result. Look what comes out. The mindset on the spirit is life and peace, life and joy, life and patience, life and gentleness, life and self. It's the abundant life. That's the reality. Look at, look at it here. To set the mind on the spirit is abundant life and spiritual fruit and self-control. The self-control we want. Where we, get a con- we get control of our mouth and our spending and our attitudes and everything else as we surrender that control to the Holy Spirit. Wow. The key to self-control, in a sense, is mind control. Who has control of your mind? How are you thinking? I'm going to leave us with one last verse and two questions, but let me just wrap up here, okay? So what did we learn today, right? What do we learn today? Self-control is surrendering control to the Holy Spirit. We learn that it's walking in the Spirit and being controlled by His choices, right? It, it is being filled with the Spirit and controlled by His holy desires. And thirdly, it is setting my mind on the Spirit and being controlled by His thoughts, His holy thoughts. And mind sometimes can be set on the flesh and be corrupt. Look at this verse. Look at this verse here, 1 Corinthians 9. Do you not know that in a race all the runners run, but only one receives the prize? So run that you may obtain it. Every athlete exercises self-control in all things. They do it to receive a perishable wealth, a wreath, but we an imperishable. So I do not run aimlessly. I do not box as one uh, beating the air, but I discipline my body and keep it under control, lest after preaching to others, I myself should be disqualified. And so Paul here writes about keeping his body under control, which would be surrendering that control to the Holy Spirit. But if anyone understands self-control and discipline, it would be the marathon runner, would it not? The one who runs that 28-mile race and makes it to the end. To run the marathon, you have to pace yourself. You have to plan on the fact that there are 28 miles and the race will take you hours. You have to run the race seeing the finish line that is not in view but is waiting for you. At the same time, any marathon runner knows that self-control and discipline that goes into their training. Training for a marathon is certainly a lot of work. I read recently, though, for a marathon runner that even as they train, they have to see the finish line. In other words, the training is actually seen as a part of the overall race. So you train with the finish line in view. You train so you can run the race and keep your pace and reach 
the end. And I was thinking about, really, you know, what do we, what today? We come out on Sunday morning, that's kind of like spiritual training, isn't it, right? We're here being trained. Like, what is self-control? What is gentleness? What is patience? We're going to talk about defending the faith. What is, what am I defending? We're here kind of trained, but we're, we're running this. We get up and we go out and we run the marathon this next week for Christ. We run it. And we run a marathon where, how many think you can get up and run for seven straight days? No, the marathon, you, it's, a, it's a walk. It's a, the marathon is, is a race that's a, like a walking by faith, walking in the spirit, walking in the day, learning to rest in the, in the night, you know? Not engaging the night, but, but we walk by faith. And, 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 and as we're running this race, yeah, the world's attacking us and the flesh is attacking us and Satan is attacking us and sin is attacking us and trying to get us off course. Romans 12, Paul talks about that, you know, or Hebrews 12, about that, you know, we all have our own race, our own course, and we just stick to the course that we've been given, and we run, and we run. Paul likens our Christian life into a spiritual race. What we see from this morning, though, is that we need to be led by the Spirit. We need to keep in step with the Spirit to make it through this marathon, because He is our strength. Remember, the intention not to sin is not the same as the power not to sin. And this is why Paul told the Colossians, Remember what he told the Colossians? Walk in the spirit here and focus on the finish line. That's exactly what Paul told the Colossians. I'll show it to you, right? Walk in the spirit and focus on the finish line. Colossians 3, set your minds on things above, not on things on the earth, for you died and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. Why do we set our minds on the heavenly things? Because that's the finish line. Because that's where the race is taking me, into the glorious arms of my Lord and Savior. And I'm just running this race, I'm running this marathon, and he is leading me to glory. I opened with two questions this morning. I want to close with those two questions. I want to tweak them slightly. Okay, so let's just tweak those couple opening questions here. Today's big idea, again, self-control is found in surrendering control to the Spirit. Here, how about this? In the next 20 to 40 years, or the years you have left, what would a successful life look like to the Holy Spirit? Oh, if you looked at your life and said, the next 20, 30, 40 years, this is what success was according to, not me, the Holy Spirit. Because I'm going to surrender my life to him. I'm going to surrender my choices to him. I'm going to surrender my thoughts to him. I'm going to surrender all those desires and passions. I'm going to recognize that my old man passions have been crucified and that I want what he wants. What would that look like? You can answer that. You You can go home and answer that this week. You can ask the Holy Spirit who's right here and he'll tell you, you know what? In 20 years, if you surrender to me, this will be what a successful life, this is what I want to do with your life. You know why? Again, we walk by faith, <laughs> right? Woo, that's a little scary maybe. Where will I be in 20 years? In 20 years, you'll be in Tanzania, you know, or something. Question number two, where would the Holy Spirit like to exercise more self-control in my life? Where, really? Really? in my thoughts and attitudes, in my feelings and desires, in my choices and behaviors. Ask him that question. He'll let you know. And you probably already know. You probably have answered that like he would, but you can ask him, what do you want to do in my life, Lord? Thank you. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much. Thank you that you allow us to live an abundant life, that you allow us to bear your spiritual fruit, that you allow us to know genuine joy and love and peace and patience and kindness and self-control. 
and that I can have self-control and I don't have to be exhausted in trying to live a life of self-control because I can surrender to you and let you do it. And oh, when I fail, oh, how amazing. When I fail, there's this incorruptible love you have for me. You don't love me any less. When I, make the, when I don't surrender to you, when I, when I blow it, when I fall into sin, you don't love me any less. You just encourage me. You just remind me internally. You just say, hey, this is how you want to live. This is the life you want to live. Lord, give us uh, eyes to see you in the week ahead, to follow you in the week ahead. May we take those questions and really answer them and peer inside our own life or let you peer inside our own life and show us what you see. Again, thank you for this good day. Bless our weekend, a weekend of rest, hopefully. In Jesus' name, amen.